Well, I'm making lunch soon. Great. Then we can start a box set. Oh, I got you a little pretty. Was that it? Yeah. Oh. It's a servant bell. If you need anything, you just give that a little tinkle and I'll come running. Yes, sir? What? Oh, um, here, do us a favour, will you? Stick some fresh batteries in this remote for us. You can do that yourself. She just said if I give this bell a little tinkle, she'll do me bidding for me. Come on, hurry up. Countdown's on in a minute. The talk of the street. 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 Welcome to episode 182 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that wonders how surprised James would be to learn that this week's events were the ones that convinced Craig he wasn't fit to be a police officer, I'm Gavin. And I want snow more. Snow more snow. Snow more snow. Snow fun. It is snow fun. Is that the limit to my snow puns? Snow more puns. <laughs> oh, the atmosphere's getting a little bit frosty in here. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> what did we get we got about a foot i think yeah we i think we got a little over foot it was snowing again last night i don't think it really added much to it but still it was just like just stop and it's funny because you know a lot of people i think we included a little bit were like complaining that we really hadn't had much snow this year we hadn't had like a full winter and it's it's really important to have a full winter to you know kill off all the insect life so that you're not finding a wasp inside the house <laughs> in January, which I did. Mm-hmm. But now that it's here, I'm just like, oh, just stop. The kids are happy, though. About a sled in action. Yes, quite a bit of sledding action. Like, every day, they, they <laughs> prepare themselves for battle, essentially. <laughs> just completely wrapping themselves up. These children that I've had such a hard time getting to even wear a coat for most of the winter are you know finding the best gloves the best scarves my gloves that's what they're finding my gloves (laughs) my gloves have disappeared steadily well they have it they were in the they were in the drawer and she found them yesterday and she used them yesterday oh excellent yes yeah i think i prefer it this way where we had like a foot that basically fell on a day right rather than it just snowing little bits on and off melting for months and then coming back yeah I've I've actually quite enjoyed the lack of snow because it means the lack of moving snow. Right. You get to this kind of level where you've got a 40 foot drive and you've got a foot of snow that's covering all of it. So where do you put it? (laughs) You kind of, it's difficult to decide where to put it. To the sides. Yeah, and then. Then you have like a nice big pile up there that children can tunnel through. But yeah, you do that once, but then when it falls again, you can't. You can't do that because you have a, you've built yourself a wall, <laughs> essentially a, a bobsleigh track. Oh, how how very topical given that the Winter Olympics started yesterday. Yeah, I think they officially started yesterday. Mm. So, all good stuff. How are you otherwise? My brain does this thing where it likes to be completionist. <laughs> your brain, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm blaming my brain, yes. You know, I have one of those brains. So now that I'm on Letterboxd, 
I've been doing this thing where, you know. Oh, God. You're going back and watching movies that you've already watched. Well, a little bit. But what I've been doing is trying to watch all of the movies by by my, by who are now, you know, my top actors of the year. So this is why I was rewatching the Star Wars movies so that I can have all of Adam Driver's movies watched. And oh. Lupita Nyong'o's movies watched because they are two of my top actors of the year thanks to um the 355 and what have we watched together that adam driver was in oh no it wasn't stuff that we watched together thanks to annette which you didn't watch <sighs> that's just heavy going i've got to tell you the one with the weird puppet the one with the ventriloquist puppet which is adam driver's daughter and all the singing so two things that you really, really hate, ventriloquist puppets and musicals. I don't hate ventriloquist puppets. You find them creepy. No, I don't. You find dolls creepy. I find dolls creepy. I don't well, think ventriloquist dolls creepy, necessarily. They're more creepy than regular dolls. Not the dolls that you buy. Because their mouths open and they can look from side to side. My dolls don't do that. I and think, you don't I know think if I will be the judge, Helen. <laughs> I know you'd love to be in control of everything in my life. All but right. I will be the judge of what I, I find, find creepiest. I find ventriloquist dummies much more creepy than normal dolls. There how's, we, go. How's we, we, that? Got, we, we got there in the end. How's that? Yeah, so I've been wearing, watching lots of weird things that are making you roll your eyes. Well, like like Ice Age Collision Course last night. Which is was, that what you were watching that? Yeah, for God, Simon. Dear me, what? terrible film that looked to be for for simon Pegg and uh stephanie barrett's and yeah it was probably the worst of the ice age movies mm-hmm. i haven't seen the the latest one i will eventually because simon Pegg is the main character oh, but dear, yeah dear, 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 dear. <laughs> and that's why it's really for it and that's why you know actually it's because of Stelly that david Tennant is my number one actor of the year because she's been going through all the david Tennant years and the the Christmas specials are in Letterbox. The regular episodes aren't, but the Christmas specials and the like, the big specials, like the Day of the Doctor, are on there. So that's what you know. It's because of Stelly that I watched that weird movie where David Tennant's children lit Billy Connolly on fire. But never mind. Oh, that's an anecdote that never dies. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. It will haunt me for the rest of my life. Those children dumping kerosene on poor Billy Connolly. I'll talk about that again. Excellent. Good. Let's let's continually come back to that. <laughs> Shall we for the next 45 minutes? It will minutes. haunt me the rest of my life. How are you? Excellent. I, I am still fine. Are you? Yeah, I've talked in a letterbox. My follower count has zoomed up from a, a five to a 30 something over the over the week. I don't know why. I got no, a new one overnight. Because nobody's liking any of the stuff that I've posted because they just seem to be following me. I don't know who they are. So I follow them back. But yeah. It's one of those weird things, I think. Yeah. Oh, well. Wait, wait. Do, do you want to share your letterbox with our talk of the street listeners? So uh, maybe I, they'll I, follow I, you? I couldn't tell you what that is. I think it's just Gaviano, isn't it? Probably. Mine is just Helen R. Broom, I think. There you go. Or just Helen Broom. Something like that. Really boring. I like to write reviews. Me too. Of the movies that I've watched. And I'm, I've made a kind of New Year's resolution to Review. write a review of every movie that I watched this year. And given that we've got our little celebration loyalty card thing where we basically get to see three movies a week right if we so choose we're kind of going to the movies once a week yeah so once a week i'm writing a review of a movie that is usually just out right 
And I think it's letterbox.com slash Gaviano. I could be wrong. Uh-huh. Like, tonight we're going to go see Moonfall. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be utter shit. The, the height of cinema. Right. But you know what? I love a good disaster movie. And at least it won't take itself too seriously. Let's like hope not. Another disaster movie of something falling from the sky. Shall we preamble, Medea? Yes, please. Give us some of that disastrous calling news. <laughs> Squinted at Mrs. Crawshaw and, and swear you've seen her before. Ever squinted? Okay, I thought you said Emma squinted. No, ever. Ever. Have you ever squinted at Mrs. Crawshaw? I wonder where you've seen her before. A little bit. Yes. Well, if you were watching CITV from 1999 to 2006, you have. She played the mum on My Parents Are Aliens. Oh, did she? Yes. <laughs> I do think I've ever seen that. I'm aware of it, though. She looks a wee bit different than she did back then, but still. Don't we all? It's her. <laughs> It's a hilarious leap from an alien being taught by children how to be a parent and a human being to basically the head of a school. Maybe she's still that character. Maybe. Does that work? Has has, has Coronation Street ever done an alien episode? <laughs> or an invasion from outer space episode? I think we've suspected as much sometimes, <laughs> but no, not officially. It's not canon. I don't think it, I mean, extraterrestrials are canon in the universe. Craig described uh, that effet of Emma as, as looking like someone from Jupiter for See, some reason. It's funny you mention this <laughs> because I quite like to put Paddington Bear in the background of Coronation Street scenes yes. and make him a little extra. You're like that guy who puts Paddington into movies yeah. until he forgets. Yeah. yeah. He does some fantastic work. He does some very good work. Highly recommend. Uh, yeah. Uh, so there's that. And I also like to pick a scene and make Billy invisible. Now, if you are, are um, a subscriber to the uh, multiple parallel universe theory, mm-hmm. then in one universe, there has to be a show called Coronation Street where Paddington Bear is an extra uh-huh. and Billy is invisible. Right. And I just crossed my mind last night and it made me chuckle. Oh, and you know what? Dan put uh, Billy in A New Hope this past week. Yeah. And and I gave I gave her uh, a hard time for her uh, Princess Leia erasure. And so she put Princess Leia back in, which was nice. Yeah, it was better without her, but never mind. Oh, go fuck yourself. Everything's better with Carrie Fisher in it. But, you know, so that, that again, it, it provides the theory that Billy is indeed an alien. Who can turn himself invisible occasionally. That works. And also is a member of the Rebel Alliance. I just think it's funny that there's a... If there's an invisible character in the street that everyone has just taken for granted that they're invisible. Right. Nobody remarks upon it. No. And there's that bear again that nobody speaks to. Right. And it never speaks to anybody. Right. Just walks about washing windows, pointing at things. Right. <laughs> you know. They're very accepting on the street. Looking aghast look occasionally. At how, look at how accepting everyone is of... Homosexuals and... Invisible homosexuals. Yes. <laughs> if you thought telling... Like Conley, though. <laughs> the children burned him. <laughs> if you thought Sally Metcalf's ego was huge before, there'll be no talking to her now. This week, Sally Denevar became the latest Corey star to receive her MBE. She did. Yes. She got it from Princess Anne. Yes. Where she found the time between filming Corey and Dancing with the Stars... 
Dancing on Ice, not Dancing with the Stars, because nope. even Dancing with the Stars is not called Dancing with the Stars in the UK. Nope, she'll never be on Dancing with the Stars. It's all kinds of wrong. This is this is why it's a bad idea for me to write Corey News at midnight. We'll never know. <laughs> oh, now, where she found the time between filming Corey and I Dancing with the Stars? I think we all Ice. got the point. We'll yeah. never know. She's been a very busy lady this year. But yeah, she's been great on on Dancing Ice. The the couple of couple of I think. What, I think she's only done two dances. Yes. But safely through to next week. Nice. Yeah, good stuff. There, are, There is strong competition there. Again, you know, there are people who have more experience in, in dances. I've, I think I've ranted about already. But yeah, she's good. She's doing herself proud. And she looks like she's having an absolute blast, which is, you know, that's what it's all about. Yes. Absolutely. And finally... The fruit juice returns, my darling. Oh, actually fruit juice. <laughs> Lamine Touré has revealed that he will be returning to Corey as footballer Ashley Hardcastle in the future. He was on Insta wearing his ITV coat. Puffer puffer jacket. In the Rovers. So who knows? She was, he was wearing it in the Rovers? Oh, I think he was outside the Rovers. He was like right outside. Because he'll never feel the benefit when he goes outside. No. Well, who knows? It may be quite frosty in there. They may keep it rather cool because of all the because the lights make everything hot. So you have to keep the temperature cool in the buildings. Mm. So when reaching, turn, I think. Anyway, he was in a puff of puff of jacket. He was by the rovers. He took a picture and announced he was coming back. For how long? Who knows? Yeah, I don't think I don't get the sense that this is a a long lasting character. I think no. this might be a version of Tommy O, where he just pops in and out. Right. Occasionally, just to... But not like that. To kind of support storylines rather than be a, I mean, driving force off them. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of get that impression. I could be wrong. Yes. Because we've got enough footballers on the street. One would argue we have too many footballers on the street. <laughs> right. It's kind of a shame, though, that it seems like Ashley Fruitjuice is getting more airtime than James. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. That is a shame. But anyway, that's Corey News. That's Corey News. And now, we'll podcast for coffee. Is the thing back? Yay! Is it? I don't know. That's the question. Yay! The ting, the ting is, is back. back. I found, root, I found the ting version of it. Root, root. We are so, so lucky to have such wonderful, generous listeners. Are we? Yep. Thank you to Anonymous for this week's coffee. And thank you to Mark from the Dales, who writes, Thanks, guys. You cheer up my weekends, and I just love your podcast. Enjoy your well-earned coffees. And Mark from the Dales was rather generous, so his coffees will be keeping us going for the next couple of weeks. Wow. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much. So very blessed. Indeed. What are you drinking your coffee out of this week? I am drinking my coffee out of my Silicon Valley Aviato mug, which has spent months at the back of the mug cupboard which is now taking over several other rooms in the house but i don't know what happened but we finally managed to get to the, the back of the cupboard and this one has been been plucked from obscurity back into regular use now i like this mug yes it's a good one kaylin got it for you for christmas a couple of years ago yeah she had no idea what silicon valley was or is but so she knew you liked it i think you might have had something to do with that i, I think it was facebook that had something to do with was that it? yeah and i am drinking out of my Meh. I do like mug, the meh mug. Which my mother got me for Christmas. And I was confused because I was like, do I really say meh a lot? And everybody said, yes, 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 yes you do. All the time. 
So thank you to Mark and Anonymous. We very much appreciate it. If you want to buy us next week's coffees, you can go to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. We'll be very appreciative. Yes, we will. And now let's move on to new tubes. (laughs) (laughs) Appropriate music for Moonfall later. Yeah. (laughs) This is our section where we talk about what's new on our YouTube channel. First thing that's new is that because we got more than 100 subscribers, was it last week or the week before? I was able to change the the name of the channel in the URL because it was like youtube.com slash C slash and then just a long string of random letters and numbers. Right. So you get 100 subscribers, you can replace that long string with something more meaningful. So now yes. it's youtube.com slash the Talk of the Street podcast. Wow. So I'm actually very, exciting. very chuffed about that. Yes. So there's our normal podcast video, which if you haven't had a look at, it's worth taking a look. The audio content is exactly the same, but there's some nice storyline cards that make it fun for your eyes. Three cl- clips of the episodes have been posted of our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week. And then our superb clip that I posted was Sharon Doesn't Marry Ian. This uh, are the scenes and the events leading up to Sharon Gaskell's proposed marriage to Ian Bentley but did the landlady Natalie Barnes did she have anything to do with scuppering it the answer is yes so you can head over to youtube.com slash the talk of the street podcast and you can see that clip and many others now we've got 100 videos posted on the YouTube channel now you've been busy yeah and it's starting to kind of pay some dividends we're starting to get some some views and some subscribers because I think we hit 100 last week I think we're at 139 now, so it's kind of taken off a little bit over the last week, which I'm very pleased about. When does YouTube start putting ads on it? After you get to 1,000. Ooh. So. We have a little ways to go then. Yeah. Let's not start uh, quitting our jobs just yet. No. And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about pint-sized Sophia Loren. Is this Ruby? That's right. This was Evelyn giving Tyrone a hard time for walking in on Alina in the scud and calling Um. her a pint-sized Sophia Loren. I was Gavin and you were wishing that you'd never left that bathtub. It's the right family. Because we got hit by a ton of snow this time last year. Oh, wow. Well. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. It's just history wow. repeating. Absolutely. We discussed the point of you quarantining because you were quarantining still when I was still going out. The children in this house were beginning to sense that they were smelling enough to have a shower. <laughs> Doesn't always happen. You completed Netflix. Tyrone is embarrassed when his Wait, fancy- I completed Netflix? <laughs> yeah, what does you, that even mean? You watched everything on Netflix. Tyrone is embarrassed when his fancy guest towels are shown to be bare enough to allow Alina to maintain her modesty. Nina's book of erotic Victorian etchings and ability to quote John O'Donoghue gets Asha all a tizzy. Third time was a charm for Todd as he instructs Will to take a sledgehammer to an innocent upright piano, the wanton destruction enough to send Summer throwing herself in front of a reasonably priced car. Peter and Carla are back together and celebrate by immediately being dishonest to each other. Gail's new interest in genealogy leads her to pick up the phone to ask her old dad what he can tell her about his side of the family. Debbie loses patience with the sale number eight and puts it up for auction. 
Oh, remember the auction for number eight? Ugh. Ugh. I, re- I remember that quite fondly because Gail won it. Yes. Andy has a bright idea of evaluating Evelyn's performance in the corner shop, but then has a much worse idea of telling her about it. Simon is single-handedly ridding the world of usable bicycles. Dave isn't sure if lesbians are still a thing. <laughs> Two characters called Ted are dead, and a good heart what? these days is hard to find. Our moment of the week was Asha telling Dev about her kiss with Nina, and our boring moment of the week was Jacob talking about his brother's bike. So, so what we have learned is that there is somebody writing for Coronation Street who has an ex <laughs> named Ted. Or is it just that they keep on forgetting that they've already got a character called Ted? Because let's we've got an Ed as well. It's a wee bit different. Well, we've got an Ed. And we've got a, a Ted and a Teddy. It's like what does current circulation? It's like what what does Russell T Davies have against angels? And what do the Coronation Street writers have against people named Ted? And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Yes. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Now you would think that because all the episodes were on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I would use Thursday and Friday to hone my notes, <laughs> get all my pronouns right, maybe make sure that I don't call Faye Amy and vice versa. I did no such thing. What Shall were we? you doing? What was I doing? I don't know. I had my feet up, smoking cigars, eating caviar. You weren't watching movies? No. Were you watching TV shows? Did you finish uh, Station Eleven yet? I haven't. I haven't even started it yet, so you're fine. Shall we dive in, my dear? Too busy watching Ice Age movies. Yes, please. Our first storyline this morning is Craig's rear end window. <clears throat> On Monday. Oh, Again. Dear. You've, you've put this image of Coulson wearing Can we talk about his bottom pajamas a bit more? <laughs> with his bottom exposed. Thanks so much for that. Would you describe it as uh, like a cherub? Yes. Yes. A little cherub bottom. He's, the whole package is very cherubic. I didn't know what the adjective was. Thank you. You're welcome. On Monday at the Young Cruise flat, Faye is worried about her appeal her legal appeal right about turning and about turning Craig Bent Emma wants to send him a thank you card <laughs> in comes Craig who announces that he's off to find out how the investigation is going Faye is now worried that he doesn't love her anymore yeah right do you deserve love Faye <laughs> the answer is no so Craig gets home and confirms that there's been no response to the EFIT funny that he's withheld evidence and now he's crossed the line betrayed his oath sullied his integrity forgotten all about that racist stuff to his credit he does remember it a my little next later sentence on. is then he remembers the racist stuff <laughs> this is becoming the habit he says he mentions that the investigation is continuing though Ted's grandson has kicked up a fuss about them all being shite at their jobs so they're going to search Ted's flat again and then Faye says something kind of downplaying the whole racism thing did she? yeah she's kind of like oh it's not the same thing at all <laughs> <laughs> it's like no that was actually kind of worse because james was completely innocent yeah i can imagine they're saying that big stitz face face seems to say oh what the fuck is it now says craig who seems to be u- using having something on Faye to uh, being a bit too cocky and domineering towards her all of a sudden hmm. Faye explains about her fake nail and suggests going back to retrieve it craig correctly points out that this is a stupid idea and something else he's supposed to turn a blind eye to Faye is sure this nail will send her to jail for life. She's going to get a life in and prison now. Craig, Craig, who I, I'm assuming during some of his police training, especially when he was... Was he trained? Especially when he was sort of maybe going to be a detective. 
would would know a little bit about DNA and how a, a fake nail that's been stuck in a drain for a couple of weeks now probably has its DNA compromised and is not going to be able to be used as evidence in anything. What what are the police actually investigating here that would require taking the plumbing to pieces? You know, it's, right? They've got an old guy who's dead. Yes. They think it looks like he's been hit by a car. Right. Why would they be? So looking therefore, through... I'm going to d- dismantle why would the plumbing. They be, why would they be looking in the house? Do they think they'll find the car in the house? Well, is it? They have no evidence that, except for like that one. The delivery guy. guy saying that there was somebody in the house with him at one point. They have no, but they have no, there's nothing, there's nothing to put those two things together. There's no evidence. They have nothing to say that the person who was in the flat is the person that ran him over. If Ted was lying in a pool of his own blood and somebody had used that blood to smear, I will kill again. Right. Mr. Osborne is a fanny. <laughs> On the wall, then fair enough. Then you right. bring in the forensics team and they just go through the entire yeah. flat, right, inch by inch. And they, right. of course, they would take things like the sink and the bath apart because who right. knows what was going on, you know. But we'd seem to have no reason, and nobody seems to think that this is. It's unreasonable to think that this nail is in danger of getting found. It, right, it, it's just it feels so bizarre. The, the whole thing is bizarre. Emma's joined the fun now as Craig decides to be the martyr and he decides to be the martyr for the rest of the week and that he'll be the one that's going to go at the flat. He's a bent copper now. He has an excuse to be there to destroy evidence if anyone asks. Craig becomes incredibly melodramatic. After he's done this, he says, nothing will ever be the same. So Craig turns up at Ted's flat and watches a plumbing YouTube video on how to take a sink waste <laughs> trap off. And I'm like, Once <sighs> again, how, is, what? is YouTube paying Coronation Street to be on the show over and over and over again? <laughs> this is not the first time that YouTube has been used. I don't think YouTube really needs to advertise, does it? Not really. It's like when, when you watch anything on the, the YouTube app and it says, do you want to rate YouTube? Give it a rating out of five. Like, why are you being so needy, YouTube? <laughs> Do you, do you need the likes? Do you, we need the likes. Give us the likes. Give us the five stars. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, YouTube. <clears throat> anyway, Craig has just been a... <sighs> Watch the video before you go to the flat, maybe. Well, sometimes <laughs> sometimes when you're doing these things, it's good to have the video, to have that visual there, step by step, as you're doing anyway, it. Anyway, the video tells him to unscrew it and it'll come off, and that's what happens. Right. So he yeah. gets the trap off and finds the false nail, just as he hears a key in the lock. It's Ted's grandson. Craig, looking like he's about to shit his police pants, pretends that he's there as part of the forensics team and asks the grandson to leave him to it. The grandson seems suspicious, and rightly so, because Craig looks ridiculously guilty, but agrees, thanking Craig for his help in finding out who killed Ted. Craig gets back home with his plumber's bag and the nail and explains about Ted's grandson walking walking in on him. Oh, John, says Emma. John's nice. And Craig and Faye are furious that she's on first name terms with him after the funeral. And now because Craig has turned into Mr. Wolf from Pulp Fiction, he tells them to get Tim's taxi so he can clean Marvin's brains from the back seat. Also, they need to gather all their clothes from that day and burn them conspicuously do you know how on the many, red brick. Do you know how many people have been in that taxi since, since that time? 
I don't think it's really what's inside the taxi it's that they've got to worry phone. about. It's it's the whatever they've driven into on the bumpers. <laughs> like, right. There's uh, remnants of uh, Tez's ginger, ginger nuts, nuts right? <laughs> smeared all over the front of the car. Still, this is ridiculous. Yeah. What about this crutch? Asks Emma. <laughs> Craig pinches the bridge of his nose. <laughs> I've been using Ted's crutch this whole time. Any other mementos? A lock of his hair, perhaps. <laughs> a pair of his underpants. He orders him to get the taxi and to meet him round the back of the brewery. Pronto. Craig's Craig's frustration is hilarious. That's quite funny. Let's 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 give him credit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Emma and Faye go off for the cab just at the exact moment Dev and Evelyn are in the mood for watching somebody learn to drive. You've been driving less than love. <laughs> what is wrong with Dev? <laughs> What's not wrong with Dev? They stare as Faye stalls a taxi and it finally crawls away. In your own time, shouts Evelyn helpfully. And at this point, you think, is this meant to be funny now? It it is. The whole thing the whole is thing's been meant to be funny. funny. Yeah. It involves the death of a pensioner, but it's still hilarious. <laughs> the See, this is this is the humour that was missing in last night in Soho. Where people are brutally getting murdered, but it's not funny. We need a dev. We need a dev. <laughs> Edgar Wright, I hope you're taking notes. <laughs> My dev impression is coming on leaps and bounds. In the flat, Faye finds out that they've upheld her appeal. She's a free woman. Let's hope it stays that way, says Emma helpfully. And Faye goes off to call Craig, who is now outside the police station looking like he's had another emotional break. He wipes his eyes, dingies Faye's call. And heads inside. Yeah. Emma's just basically rose from the Golden Girls, isn't she? <laughs> because when Faye says, my, they've, they've upheld my appeal, Emma says, oh no, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I didn't like that. You don't I like, didn't like that. That was, that was just written. Just to be funny. Desperately in need of a laugh. Yeah. But Emma knows what upheld an appeal means. You think? They play fast and loose with things that Emma knows. And what she doesn't. And what she doesn't. But they do make her seem quite naive, like with the whole, oh, John, he's nice. Yeah, well, that's a, and that, see, that to me is a perfectly normal thing for her to say. Mm-hmm. I believed that. Yeah. I didn't believe her not knowing what upheld the appeal meant. That was a bit lazy. So, so Emma is Rose. <laughs> Faye is Dorothy. Tyrone is Blanche. So that would make, that would make Craig Sophia. I don't know if that works or not. <laughs> Your stomach agrees. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Craig gets home and is nonplussed by Faye's news. Emma thanks Craig for his efforts and heads off to bed. Craig heads off too. Faye wonders if Craig is okay and he gets all emotional again as he announces that he's not a bent copper anymore and his job isn't on the line because he's handed in his notice. Dum, dum, dum. On Tuesday at the Young Crew flat, Faye and Tyrone. feels awful for Craig. Emma knows that he might have been really shite at being a copper and quite racist when the chips were down, but he enjoyed himself. Faye remembers that he sacrificed the relationship when she was inside, and she makes it sound like that's a good thing. Then Martyr Craig comes in. He's heard from the hospital who confirmed that the crutch was Ted's. Maybe I wouldn't have made such a bad detective after all, he says. Yeah, but only if you could have carried Roy around with you in your back pocket. Because it was Roy <laughs> who said who told him to go and yeah. ask these people. Then Faye, who doesn't work at the factory, turns up at the factory to inquire about any jobs going for Craig. Faye does work at the factory. Does she? Yes. Remember? Oh, she's Sarah... in sales, isn't she? Yeah, Sarah gave her a job in sales. Well, then Faye, who has does a... work at the factory. Who absolutely has a right to be at the factory, although she never seems to be working there. As if she did last week. Yeah. Oh, I'm just... 
a walking contradiction this morning. Fanny. My Craigie, says Beth, who for purposes of plot was under a table retrieving a pin. My Craigie's a policeman. Not anymore, says Faye. He fancies a change. So Beth blames Faye for this and stomps off to the former. And how right she is. To speak to the former PC Tinker. Craig's on his third pint in the pub when Beth comes in, blown up that he's quit the police. Technically, he says he's on leave and he doesn't want to be a copper anymore. So there we go. He hasn't handed in his notice at all. He's on leave. Well, he's so this can all be remedied very quickly. Well, he's on. He's handed in his notice, and they give him. They they put him on leave to make sure that you know that he's not just being emotional. Because you know, cops they're very emotional, notoriously emotional people <laughs> who go and and quit all the time. Yeah, they they slam their their gun and the badge throw that on the desk and say, "I'm done with this shit." Throw the throw the badge at the. The chief and, from Starskin Hutch. And unless they're unless they're Danny Glover, and then they say, "I'm too old for this shit." Mm-hmm. It's Danny Glover, right? Not Donald. No, Donald's his young one. Never mind. Yeah, it's always good when you question your own joke <laughs> immediately after saying it. It gives it that. <laughs> it, it bullies it up, you know. It gives it a certain presence. It means I'm human. So Beth doesn't believe that he'd just walk away from the job. She's determined to get to the bottom of this and again blames Faye. And how right she is. So later, Craig's had his three pints and he's ready to fight Emma. <laughs> Faye apologises for telling Beth, who won't stop texting him about it. Don't worry though, your secret is safe. Faye decides that this is a good time to tell him about the packing job that's going at the factory. He has bigger aspirations than that, he scoffs, and Faye storms off. Yeah, it is a little insulting to say, hey, I'm sorry that I made you feel like you have to quit your professional job here's a job going as a packer <laughs> i'm trying to remember how right. Faye felt when uh, tim got involved in her life and spoke to people trying to get her a job i don't think she was that enamored about the whole thing no and here she's doing the same for craig and how can i make this better oh i'll get him a job working with kirk right where he'd be working right next to kirk and hearing all about kirk's sexual exploits with his mother oh which is exactly what he says, which is hilarious because... That's exactly what would happen. We, yeah, and we really haven't gotten a lot of hilarious Beth and Kirk sex jokes lately. It's all been Sally and Tim sex jokes. Right. So Craig gets home and apologises. According to Faye, he's drunk. Sure. Craig has found it difficult to adjust to civilian life, but he's going for that factory job tomorrow after all. Oh, and the forensics thing has come back negative. So everyone is off the hook. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Civilian life. You were still a civilian, Craig. Oh, dear. Craig with a bee in his bonnet about something that's just it's so frustrating. It's <laughs> because you know, they're trying to make out that it was like this, this bastion of, of moral standards and and, well, I and, mean, and occupying the high ground and, as, and, and everything that he ever did as, as a policeman. As when you, he was lucky to get a week without breaking protocols in one way or another. But, I mean, as you pointed <clears throat> out, he arrested his own mother once. So, in a skewed way, he has, he does have this idealized idea of what being a police officer is. It's just that he's kind of rubbish at it. He's kind of rubbish at it. He's awful. On a daily basis. It doesn't seem, though, that he considers, like, breaking protocol by telling people, giving people information about active... He's an informer, yeah. Right. I don't think he sees that. He gets kneecapped for things like that. You get kneecapped for that. Yeah. 
And then they lick your boom boom down. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. But you've, never heard awful. This, you've never heard the song Informer by Snow? Yes. I, I, I understand no <laughs> lyric from it. Oh. So. It's a sex thing. Of course it is. <laughs> I wonder, though, if they've missed a trick. Probably. If having Craig as a bent copper on the show and maybe try to give him a bit of menace, maybe. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm, I'm trying to be devil's advocate here. But. Let me remind you. Cherubic. Well, I, I, I don't think he would be bearing his bum cheeks as he's no, been corrupt. But the but. whole package is cherubic. I don't know. I think they could... He's got a very sweet, innocent face. Yeah, so this is the corruption those, of Craig Tinker. And those ears. Those ears could never be corrupt. They're, they're a kind of beacon of corruption, because whenever he's lying, they, they, they tend to... They turn very red. Right, so <laughs> you can feel the heat coming off them. Which is peak acting, because, you know, technically yeah. as, a, as an actor, he's always lying. Right. And yet it's only when he's lying as the character that his ears turn red. Right. So, Colson Smith... The best actor on Coronation Street. Mm-hmm. But the, I don't know, I, I felt like after the racism thing and after the, all this dis- destruction of evidence and, and covering up a crime, if this was a, a, a slippery slope that he started to go down, that maybe in a year's time he's, he's killed somebody, maybe that would have been interesting. Just to get his hole. <laughs> Just to get his hole. And <laughs> when asked, why did you do it, Craig? Just try to get me all. That's my creative impression. It, it, it feels like... It, it feels like for this character, it would take more than this particular relationship to make him turn dirty. It's, it's actually more believable, the whole racism thing, that, you know, it's for the, the brotherhood of, of police officers that he, that he kind of downplays and second guesses because that's how an awful lot of the stuff happens is that oh well you know you weren't there and you don't know what's going through your mind and you don't know you know it's a life or death decision what is in that person's pocket blah 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 most of which is really bullshit but you know it's it's believable this on the other hand the fake nail the whole oh well i'm going to turn dirty cop and not turn my girlfriend in because she's had such a hard a hard year by being put in prison for assaulting someone which she did do which she did do <laughs> and because her dad just had triple bypass surgery you know she that, did, to be fair she did assault somebody on the back of you know an assault I, on herself yes. yes yes but still the fact that she's like oh i can't go back to prison like again like she's been there for like she was there for years and years and years and became a hard right well we everything. forgot that she existed remember so it was she was there for a few months right yeah that's and she has she does seem to have changed coming out of it was she really in there long enough to have changed that much though it feels like she has i mean i feel like if i went to jail it would really change me I think I'd be quite content. I'd be like, yes, please put me in solitary. Oh, I think I'd prefer solitary. With a stack of books. Don't you get books? Three square meals. Yeah. There was part of me that worried that when John, Teddy's grandson, Uh walked in, that Craig was going to eat the nail. Oh, it's bad enough all that brown water came out. Mm -hmm. 
bowl. Shall we move on? Yes, please. Okay. Our next storyline this morning is Tim's mum about the house. Yay! Have a very particular dance that no one will ever see but you. And, that and song I don't see because I'm doing my own dance. <laughs> on Monday, Tim's mum turns up at the hospital to help Sally get Tim home because Tim's getting home today because it's been at least, what, three days since he's right. triple bypass. When he's off. supposed to be in there for three weeks. And he's not even like hooked up to stuff. He's supposed to be. There's like no heart monitor on this man. No. There's already he had triple a, bypass and there's no heart monitor. There's already a bit of territorial pissings going on here between Sally and Tim's mum. Which is hilarious. Sally tells Tim that uh, there'll be his personal NHS. Tim's mum tells him they'll cater for his every whim. Tim says, I can get used to this. At home, Tim is sprawled out on the couch and much to Sally's chagrin, Tim's mum has bought him a servant's bell so that he can give it a little tinkle anytime he needs anything. A little tinkle. And he puts it to good use by immediately asking for new batteries for the remote. <laughs> that remote's never been the same since Abby got her hands in it. That's true. It's like our bathroom bell. Yeah, ringing for toilet paper. Ring for toilet paper. Eileen comes to visit Tim, telling him the office is full of get well cards because they couldn't walk around the corner and post the cards into number four. She reveals <laughs> how worried she and the other cabbies were about losing Tim. And she posts something on the Insta because yeah. apparently... Streetcars has its own Insta account. Of course it does. And who wouldn't follow the Insta account <laughs> of your local cab firm? <laughs> Sally comes home announcing that she's about to make dinner, but Tim's mum's already taken care of it because Tim needs something healthy. I'm here for you too, Sally, she says. Use me as an asset. You're a pain in the asset, mutters Sally. That was hilarious. She's a godsend, says Tim, isn't she? Yes, says yes. Sally. When Tim's mum is out, Tim mentions how great it is with his mum there and she'd like to stay on for a little bit. Maybe it's a good thing, says Sally, until we can get her whole again. Sally will be requiring a full service, by the way, including fan belt. Yes. Whatever that means. And an oil change. Wow. (laughs) 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 Later, when Tim's mum is out for the count in her chair, (laughs) Sally, stop it. (laughs) Sally and Tim try to sneak upstairs. I don't know why they were were they sneaking upstairs for for a quickie. Well, they can't because he can't have sex. Right, so why were they kind of rushing to just, when she was asleep? Just to, just to go upstairs and, and go to bed themselves and just oh, right, okay. spoon? This wakes Tim's mum who says she's made the spare room for Sally to make sure they don't get their hole or touch each other's privates even. Tim because covers they're his ears. teenagers. Tim covers his ears and Sally heads off to the spare room because the alternative would be kipping down with Tim's mum yeah. and chain for that. Nope. And that's all that happens there. Yes. A very quick one. Once again, Coronation Street doesn't seem to understand how major surgery works and the recovery period for it. Yeah, I think if I was Tim, I'd be really worried that my stitches were going to burst open. Right, yeah. Because I can't possibly have healed by now, can it? No. Remember when I had uh, the surgery after my cancer and I had like all that stuff like attached to me for like weeks and weeks and weeks to, to seal up Oh yeah, the yeah. hole, mm-hmm. you know, which there would be a pretty big. He he would have a pretty big seam himself yep. for something like triple bypass. It's not something that they can really do laparoscopically or keyhole, right? Right, yeah. Oh, that's right. It's called keyhole mm-hmm. in the UK. Yep. adorably <laughs> through the keyhole. You know where I was. So 
as someone who has had major surgery before, it, it's all a bit eye rolly <laughs> to me. Yeah. It's like there are other there are other storylines and there are other people on the street. We don't have to get Tim out of the hospital and back into a storyline this quickly. Or, you know, we can have the hilarious pissing match between Sally and Tim's mom while Tim is still in the hospital or believably up in his room. Unless they don't have a set for their bedroom. Do they have a set for their bedroom? Don't think so. Well, they can build a set for their bedroom. How long if, it has it taken to see what uh, Adam and Sarah's flat looks like? I think we'd still be waiting. Which, wait until we get to that. Mm-hmm. But still, it's like, let the man heal. Let's let's not give false hope to people going into triple bypass that they'll be out in three see, days. See, I do think it is probably quick. I, th- I think it's probably quicker than you think it is. That you're in and you're out. They, get, you, they want that bed freed up as soon as they can possibly get it freed up. So it is probably yeah, quicker they than also, you think it is. But, they but I don't, think it's, don't, I don't want, think it's a day. Yeah, they also don't want to be sued by someone who was discharged far too quickly and then immediately has a heart attack upon getting home and having all their stitches burst. Right. Yeah. I know. I'm still thankful that Tim's mum's back in it. Yes, me and too. She, and she's just kind of replaced herself from Yasmin's house and Sally's house. Right. And seems to be doing... Basically, kind of the same thing. thing right? yeah. We got mentioned the dog again. Did we? I, th- I thought that that dog. I think it's a different dog. They, they, they seem to. You add character traits to people that just right. end up being. Yeah, it's a different dog that she's fostering now. Around your neck. Tim's mum fosters dogs. Yes. What a lovely thing to do. Yes. But then you have to say, well, she ain't fostering dogs here and she's been in the show for a month. So what's happening to the dog that she's fostered, right? Well, so it's, her neighbour has it. So now she has to mention it. Right. <laughs> but it's, I don't know. It's just one of those strange little quirks that they give characters that end up being a, and we have to deal with this and we have to address this and we have to say why she isn't doing the thing, why she isn't doing the quirk that we've given her. Right. But, I don't think they even really needed to mention it, to be honest. No, they don't. But they do. But they did. So it's fine. It's a cockapoo this time. Of course it is. And it's being, and it's and being why, adopted. And why do, you think, why do you think it's a cockapoo? Because the word cockapoo is hilarious. For so many reasons. So many two reasons. reasons. Let's just say two reasons. <laughs> Let's jump on to the next storyline then. Neither of which will ever turn up on Wordle. No. Because neither of them are five letter words. Wordle was a, has been a shit to me all week. <laughs> I haven't happy. done I haven't done today's yet. Ugh. I was very annoyed with it today. Were you? I nearly threw my phone across the, uh, <laughs> across the room. Moving on then. Our next storyline is Helping Hope. On Monday, <coughs> it's been snowing again as Tyrone and Evelyn are getting ready to take Hope to her therapy session. Tyrone doesn't think it's easier to get away from work like this, even though he's always bunking off like this. He announces that Faye is putting... <laughs> Faye? God, don't, don't start mixing up Fizz with Faye. He announces that Fizz is putting an awful lot of faith into the move fixing everything right moving house moving and we fill with two l's right. is going to sort all of hope's problems right because it'll be a new school a new start. people who don't know that she's you know tried to burn her future stepmother right just like <laughs> david Tennant's children <laughs> i haven't seen this so i can only i can only get partly why you find this so funny <laughs> I find it horrifying. 
Later, Fizz and Tyrone meet Avon in Nina's roles to go through the therapy session. Fizz thinks it went well, that the therapist thinks that Hope was just being naughty when she hatched a scheme to hide Joseph in the loft and pretend that he'd gone missing. It was nothing too psychotic. Tyrone is uneasy about this, as is Evelyn. Right, she was doing it to help Joseph. She, yeah, she thought she was helping. She, yeah. Which I can kind of believe that she thought she was helping. Because, you know, Joseph is sad. Joseph wants to get away from his parents. Hope helps Joseph. You know, I. she still doesn't seem... But that is negated by her complete lack of empathy for Bernie in lying about it. Yeah, that was skipped over. Yeah. Yeah. When she barefaced lied about it. Right. And did not seem at all bothered when other adults seemed to hint that this might send Bernie to prison. Yeah, because it was kind of set up, and I appreciate what we talked about last week, but it was kind of set up that by mentioning that Bernie could go to prison was going to be the catalyst for Hope telling the truth. But it wasn't. It wasn't. Because it was Joseph that told the truth. Yes. In the pub now with Fizz, Tyrone and Phil with two L's, Fizz is still singing the Hope is Fine tune, but Tyrone thinks something isn't right and they need to get more help for Hope. Fizz says Hope is fine and it's been ages since she's tried to set fire to anything. <laughs> or anyone. Phil with two L's, though, agrees with Tyrone. Fizz feels like she's the only one on Hope's side, but Tyrone, Evelyn and Phil with two L's insist that everyone here wants the best for Hope. Yeah, and Phil with, heard two, that before. Phil with two L's makes an excellent point. It's like, it's not, you know, kids with dyslexia used to be, or, or even like ADHD used to be labelled as dumb when they weren't dumb they just or slow learn differently right. and see fizz just can't see the forest for the trees that no matter what hope is going to be labeled it's just that you have a choice of what she's going to be labeled is she going to be labeled as a psychopath arsonist right or is she going to be labeled as having something with a with a medical name to it mm-hmm. that's less Terrifying to the general public than psychopath arsonist. Mm-hmm. On Tuesday, Gemma goes into Dev's and is not happy with him. He thinks he was in the right about Bernie, but Gemma points out that Bernie has been proved innocent. It had nothing to do with Joseph's disappearance, and maybe she did have something to do with taking half the money, but let's skip over that. And she gives Dev a piece of her mind about some of the language he used against someone who was supposed to be his partner. Right. Because he called her a disgrace. Do and, it, Gemma. Right. Yeah, she belongs in the gutter. Right. He was really horrible. He was the worst out of everybody. This gives Dev some thinking to do. Yes. Bernie comes in to see Dev. He has flowers and begs for her forgiveness. And chocolate. Gemma told me I was wrong, he says. I told you you were wrong, says Bernie. Oh, that was a good line. Mm -hmm. That was a good line. Mm -hmm. She says that she was genuinely hurt by what he said. Dev wants to draw a line under it. Bernie tells him to stick his flowers. Up his arse. Right. right. Up, up his, his arse. arse. I haven't done that in a while. No, we haven't. And that's as far as we get with that. Yeah. Another to, wee shorty. Yeah. To Dev's credit, you know, the fact that he is admitting that he was wrong. As soon as he's admitting it, which is pretty soon. Yeah. I mean, Bernie is right. She did tell him he was wrong too, and he didn't believe her, but he believed Gemma, you know. And even when he said, well, she did take the money and part of it was mine yeah not the biggest part though dev so <laughs> shut up and let's let's be honest you would have been spending like three grand within this year in a relationship with bernie anyway he wasn't supposed to have any money 
Yeah. Remember, he was <laughs> he was skint and he couldn't afford to... Couldn't send Addy to university. Right. Or, yeah, or on a send, course or whatever it was. Yeah. Couldn't send Addy on this course because he has to spend so much money keeping... Ashes, ashes. porn off the internet. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <sighs> but anyway. Shouldn't be laughing at that. No. No, we're laughing at Dev. Yeah. I could see his point somewhat last week. Yeah, but not to the point of you belong in the gutter. No, his language was appalling. Yeah. And also And also she didn't spend any of that money on herself. She spent it on her family who are skint because Dev pays poverty wages. And also he chose to demean her and shout her and in degrade her publicly in front of people right yeah which arguably was the worst you know you have this conversation privately and i think you maybe get to a resolution a little bit quicker but the fact yeah. that there's other people there it just stokes the flames shouting of it. in the streets yeah wasn't it wasn't a great look and it didn't it doesn't suit dev but he's it's not the first time he's done it well as script scene pointed out dev is a slytherin so Sure. So, of course, he's going to be quick to judgment and be rash yeah. and, and try to protect his pride. I think she's wrong about Addy. I don't think Addy's Slytherin. I think he's Hufflepuff, but never mind. I think Addy is a Hufflepuff in a house of Slytherins. You think Ash is a Slytherin? Yes. No, she's too compassionate to be a Slytherin. She's, not, she's compassionate for her own ends, though. She's not compassionate to be compassionate. She's compassionate because she wants to get her whole. Mm. Well, is anybody ever compassionate altruistically? Yes. Who? Me. <laughs> I've been compassionate just to be compassionate. And you, so have you. Yeah, but I don't know. I'm Although not, you are a Slytherin. You've admitted it yourself. Yeah, I'm definitely Slytherin. Yeah, you and Steli. The boys are both Hufflepuff. And I'm Ravenclaw. <laughs> you're so not Ravenclaw. I am so Ravenclaw. Oh yeah, and you're blonde as well. <clears throat> Shall we move on then? <laughs> you obviously don't know what brown is. My hair is uh, not brown. Next, <laughs> next storyline. Your hair is non-existent, so I don't think that you're a good judge. Am I arguing? I've got eyes. <laughs> you don't need to have hair to be able to decide what colour hair is. Our next storyline this morning is... Oh, this is a difficult one. <clears throat> Ninaxiety Ashak. Do you know it didn't even look good in paper? Yeah, that that was an unfortunate one. Ninaxiety, Ninaxiety Ashak. Yeah, that was that was an unfortunate choice. Yeah. Oh well, moving on. Oh, never mind, old brownie. We'll get over it. Eh? Well, on Monday, Nina I, hasn't gotten over her anxiety about Asha. So, in Asha, fairness. This storyline has some unfortunate choices made as well. So, <laughs> so asks her to text her when she gets home. She promises she won't always be like this. Asha is still choosing to find this cute and reminds Nina and the audience about the tracker on the phone. Then Asha is at a study group with Addy and Summer and they both think it's weird that she has to check in with Nina even though she was just over the road. Asha has plans to apply to Glasgow Uni, which is a long way from Manchester and Nina, and she optimistically hopes that things will be better by then. Because the course that she wants to do is only available in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Risk management. Really? Sure. There's some confusion over which Glasgow Uni they're talking about. 
And this uh, becomes even more when Asha and Dev are in Nina's roles chatting about our coveted place at Glasgow Uni, or Glasgow Caledonian, as Dev calls it, which mm-hmm. are two very different universities. Asha says that she's starting to think Glasgow is too far away, and Roy overhears, with, overhears this with some interest. Sam and Roy are playing chess again at Nina's roles. Roy tells Sam about a strategy of playing with the sun shining in your opponent's eyes. Wouldn't work in Manchester, says Sam, who's talking again. Right, well... Who is selectively talking again. Yeah, just doesn't talk to Nick. Can't <laughs> blame him. doesn't always talk to Roy, because afterwards, right. when Roy beats him, he stops talking to him again. Yeah, rushes off again, <laughs> upset. Leaves, leaves Roy's I mean, hand hanging, yeah. hanging there, which isn't, isn't the greatest look for Sam. On her way out later, Nina runs by Roy, who asks her if her reluctance to go to Glasgow has anything to do with Nina. She needs me, says Asha. Talk to her, says Roy. You might be surprised. Boo! On Tuesday, Dev has got Asha a prospectus for Glasgow Uni. But it's not Glasgow Uni, it's Glasgow Caledonian. Right, it came in the mail. She's upset and feels like he's pressuring her into going to the uni she said was her first choice. Right, and is the only one that has the course that she wants to take. (laughs) A passing Scotsman wanders by and sings the praises of Glasgow to her. Asha, who has never spoken to Adam in her life, I don't (laughs) think, thanks him very much. And he's not wrong. I do like Glasgow. Glasgow's great. I had the best ramen of my life in Glasgow. He went to Edinburgh, though. Yeah, but... He, so, he's, Lydia says... He's he's been to Glasgow, though. Yeah. It's it's not like... It's he sounds not, more Glasgow than Edinburgh. It, it's, it's not like you can't drive or take the train from Glasgow to Edinburgh, whatever you want. Thanks for explaining Scotland to me. <laughs> Helen's splaining. <laughs> Helen's splaining again. Asha's in Nina's roles reading over her Glasgow Cali book, which she hides as Nina appears. Nina is on top of the world because she's ready to go back to college herself, and she credits all of this on Asha and her love and her patience. And her Billie Eilish hairdo. Everything is getting back to normal, she says, and then she sees the prospectus in Asha's bag, and she pretends not to for a second. And then Asha brings the subject up of attending an open day tomorrow in Glasgow and how she was worried how Nina would take it. Nina shrugs it off. It's only a day... And then it's 18 months before you have to think about uni and she's got college and all that going on now anyway. But as soon as she's out of Asha's eye line, we see how she really feels, which is unhappy, Helen. Mm. Nina and Asha head into Dev's. Asha explains that she's going to Glasgow tomorrow after all, but she wants to go on her own. And this is, sets alarm bells ringing for Asha. Right, yeah. For Nina. Right. Dev remembers that Nita lives in Glasgow now. And Nina looks upset that Dev will not be going with Asha. Yeah, but her aunt Nita's there, so it's fine. Right. In Nina's roles, Nina asks Roy about the safety of trains, and without thinking about it, Roy gives Nina a hundred different ways in which a train can be involved in a horrendous accident. So Nina FaceTimes Asha and listens to her journey plans. Asha asks if Nina wants to come with, but she has a meeting at her college with her tutor and needs to work. Roy realises now why Nina was asking about trains and now calls it the safest mode of transport in the UK, and maybe she should speak to a professional about her anxieties. Nina insists that she's fine, but then when Roy's back is turned, she immediately starts <clears throat> voggling train crashes. Yes. Thanks, Nina. On Wednesday, Asha pops into Nina's roles and chats to Nina about how excited she is about her trip to Glasgow today. And rather pointedly, she mentions how she's checked her e-ticket on her phone a dozen times. And then she leaves that phone on a table and nips off for a shite, allowing Nina to pocket the phone down her penny. Post-shite, Asha is about to leave when she realises that she can't find her phone. Nina, the world's worst thief, reveals that she pocketed it. You can't go, says Nina. You must stay with me forever. We float down here, Asha. 
We <laughs> float. We all float down here. <laughs> Asha is remarkably patient as she deals with Nina's neuroses. But if she doesn't go now, she's going to be late. Nina still has her phone, so Asha threatens to leave without it. Think about how much worse this will be if I'm mm-hmm. in a strange city on my own with without no phone. My phone. So Nina gives her it back, but then locks her in Nina's rolls. Which is hilarious when you think about it. When you <sighs> think about how many, how many decades and centuries we went going places without a phone in our pocket. Yeah. <laughs> I remember driving from Newark Airport to a hotel in Newport, Rhode Island without a map. Yeah. I used to drive from Virginia to Connecticut twice a, twice a year. How did people find it? How did we find anything? Right. It feels like it's a one thing that we could we could never live without now. Yeah. Having a map on and having a wee woman telling you <laughs> which way to which go. Way to go. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? And this is the fun the funny thing I was talking about uh, this uh, last week in the, the car with the kids how my aunt Mary used to come visit mm-hmm. on a Monday and a Thursday. Uh-huh. And my mum would give her a, a ride back home to Hall Glen. Right. And I'd go with because uh-huh. why not? Why not? Right. And we'd try, or my mum would try, to go home and not have to stop at a red light <laughs> on any of the numerous traffic lights that were on the route. And she called it doing a night rider. I don't right. know why, because night rider <laughs> wasn't famous for avoiding red lights, right? But that's what we called it. If we can do a night rider. I mean, we'd come close a few times to doing a night rider. Right. And, then, and we did it, I think, at least once. Uh-huh. And it was the best feeling ever. And my mum would like slow down at a red light right. if, the, if the road was quiet enough, <laughs> waiting for it to turn green. So uh, I have this route in my head that we took uh-huh. that I looked on Google Maps. through. This is what I was doing instead of improving my notes. Right. Going through Google Maps and following that route. Uh-huh. And then I wondered if it was the best way. And it isn't. No. It isn't even the third best way. <laughs> it's, like, it's just a really bad way to go to Hall Glen from Karen Shore. If you don't know and you don't have Google Maps telling you that this right. isn't the best way, why would you know? You just get there. Yeah. But it used to take us like 15, 20 minutes and apparently you can do it in 10. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. My dad used to do this thing when we were all in the car and, you know, he'd be like, if, if we were going someplace that we that we would go to a lot, you know, he would get to a point where he's like, let's try a different way home. Mm-hmm. You know, and it would be, so he would take a road that would be going in the general right direction. Right. You know, and we would get home eventually, but sometimes we would get fabulously lost. Uh-huh. And and sometimes we would we would discover things on the way that we didn't know existed. So it could be quite fun and, and, and quite an adventure, but we would do that without Google Maps. Right. It's all about filling in the blanks in your own map in your head. Or even MapQuest. Remember MapQuest? Yeah, it was awful. It was awful, but still, you know, the fact that we've we've gotten to a point where we even think it's ridiculous to to go to a website and plug in where we want to go and print out the directions. Your mum drives here without directions. I think she has a map in her car. Yeah. I She's mean, old school, though. In, in fairness, you know, it's like two highways. Yeah, it's not... It's not hard. You're on a for like... This is America. Eight hours. You can get anywhere by just jumping on a highway. Nina is now worried that she's about to be dumped. Asha says, it's just anxiety talking as Nina explains why going to Glasgow will kill her. So Asha <laughs> says that she'll stay, she won't go to Glasgow, and she comforts Nina. So Nina's plans is scuppered when Roy turns up 
expecting to be able to get in. Right. So Nina panics and runs away to her room, leaving Asha to open the door and explain there's been an incident. And we see how much this has actually affected her because she looks really upset now. Yes. Asha and Roy seem to be on the same page. Treating Nina's behaviour as normal doesn't seem to be working, but Asha is insistent that she can't go to Glasgow. Roy doesn't think that's a healthy decision either. No. It's professional help that's needed. Yes. And later, after Asha has left, Nina comes downstairs and sits with Roy. She explains how she's worried that she's losing her mind, and he apologises for not taking care of this sooner and for disappearing to fucking Peru. But <laughs> let's get you some professional help starting right now. Yeah. And Nina agrees. Yeah, finally. Nina yep. agrees. And that's so where she's we finish be, that one. She's going to be part of that waiting list with Sam then. Let's remember there aren't, there aren't enough psych- psychologists to go around in I have Manchester. to say, this whole Nina psychosis bit was a bit of a tough old watch. It was. It was because it's not It's not the Nina we know. No. And yet it is believable that, that PTSD could have affected her this much. Right. And that's that's kind of... That's kind of scary to think, but I think we've all kind of been through something like, not to this degree, but I think everyone's mindset and mentality has been affected by, by the pandemic. I know mine has. Yeah. It, it, it's And it's not an easy thing to get over. No. And you think that you are kind of understanding the mental health issues and, and how, you know, people can react in different ways and the just because it's different from how you would react, you feel like it's, you know, you, you have a little bit more patience and understanding for that, which I think is what has been demonstrated by uh, Asha during this. And Roy. It's really hard to watch that and think, not give yourself a shake. And you, you know that that's not the right attitude to have. No. And you think it's a terrible attitude to have because yes. it doesn't really help no. anything. Because giving yourself, if you could give yourself a shake, you would, you have, would given have already your, done that, yeah. But it's that kind of old ancient attitude of pull yourself together that. You know, isn't always possible, and right. that doesn't mean that it's, it's it's bad or it's wrong. It just means that that's that's what your brain is doing to you right now, and, right. and you do need to take a little break, and you do need to get some some help. But right. it's it's and it's and it's not a shameful watch. thing. No, and it's funny because you see, kind of, the same attitude in Fizz that that Nina's showing that you know, this is not this that big of a problem. I am not crazy. So I don't really need professional help until it until it gets to that tipping point. Yeah, you know, I don't know where Hope's tipping point is for Fizz. No, one <laughs> because one, one worries kidnapping that, and arson. One worries that it really is killing somebody. Yeah, because she will she will forgive it and she will ignore it as much as she possibly can. Yeah, which is why it's good that there are three other people there who are not. Yeah, the worst thing that. Fizz needs right now with somebody to agree with her. Right. All right. Let's skip on to Maria's soggy portfolio. <laughs> on so so very soggy. So very soggy. How do you feel about the word moist? See, it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers other people. Because it was a word all this week as well. It was a word all this week, yes. I it's funny. Uh Adam from the teen center here in town, he can't stand the word. And so, of course, Steli and the other teenagers and preteens. Yeah. Say it to him all the time. I just think of cake. Nice moist butter cake. Yeah, and I like cake. Who doesn't? So I, I, I don't mind it, but other people there are, there are words that bother me, but moist isn't one of them. 
On Tuesday, Maria is entering a regional hairstylist competition and putting her portfolio together online on the thingy drive, she says. In comes Kelly and Liam goes all quiet and heads to his room. Maria thinks Liam doesn't like sharing his mum, but Gary thinks that he has a crush on Kelly and it'll all work itself out once he's heard Kelly belch or fart or something. Could be a bit of both. Yeah. When Kelly gets home, Liam is struggling with his French homework. Kelly knows a bit of French, so they throw a ball around the flat as they count, but in doing so, Liam knocks a bottle of water all over Maria's portfolio. Oh, pig's tits, says Kelly. And I just... It's like all of the times that Benny has broken something in the living room right. by bouncing a ball around when I've told him multiple times not to bounce a ball around because he's going to break something. For years and years and years. Maria comes home and is furious. Kelly takes the blame and Maria tells her to fuck off. Maria sneaks off with Maria's thingy drive. And after Kelly's gone, Liam comes clean. It was him what knocked over the water bottle. Liam told the truth. But Maria still seems to be a bit upset that he didn't tell the truth immediately and seems even more upset that Kelly took the fall for some reason. Right. So Maria and Gary are worrying about Kelly when she comes home with a surprise. She and Addy have made Maria a kick-ass website from Squarespace that is better than any stinking portfolio. <laughs> Maria is made up and then tells Kelly not to take the blame for Liam again. Kelly decides that she can't catch a break today and stomps off to her room. Yeah, and Maria immediately realises, to her credit, yeah. she immediately realises maybe she shouldn't have said that last uh, bit. And she wants to go and make this up to Kelly, and Gary tells her not to. Yeah, Gary says, wait a bit. On Wednesday, Kelly's having a cup of a homeless stew in Nina's rolls. It's nice that they, they two still meet up. I know, I love it, I love it. Explaining about Maria's soggy portfolio, homeless stew knows what it's like to be a walking on eggshell. Homeless Stu knows what it's like to be walking on eggshells, but he thinks Gary and Maria are good characters and suggests a box of chocolates to get back on side with him. He doesn't know... Doesn't know the half of it. That Gary has killed Kelly's mum, or dad. Right. Kelly goes and gets some chocolates and she heads to the barbers, but she overhears Gary and Maria gossiping round the corner about how she has gone too far and she can't be trusted and they can't even look at her right now. And assuming that they're talking about her, Kelly runs away. They are, however, talking about Sally. Yes. Back home, as they're discussing what a great job Kelly did on the soggy portfolio website, Gary and Maria are shocked to discover that she's done a runner and taken all her crap with her. But it's not long before Maria finds Kelly at the bus stop and it doesn't take long for the confusion to be cleared up. It wasn't you I was slagging, says Maria. It was Sally Webster, Metcalf, whatever. She explains how much Kelly means to everyone in the house and the two of them head home. It's nothing burgers for tea tonight. Woohoo! This is just the same old story, isn't We've it? How many times is Kelly going to run away from someone because of a misunderstanding? Right. It's it's nice. It's nice that Liam gets some airtime, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's like we're finally getting to see so many, so many of the younger children on the street. Because we also get to see Harry this week. I know. Is it the same Harry? I think it is. It's hard to tell. His hair's a bit darker. Is it blonde? It's a darker blonde than it was. <laughs> It's more the color of my hair now. Dark brown then. <laughs> it's not brown. <laughs> yeah. This is a, a rerun of something that yeah. we've had before. But again, it's it's nice to see Kelly's home life with Maria and Gary. Because it seems like Maria is really warmed to her. Mm -hmm. You know, it's nice to see her again interacting really well with a younger kid. Yeah. And, and being kind. Kelly taking credit for Addy's work, do you think? Yeah. Well, at least she gives Addy some credit. And I like that she went to Addy and that Addy was willing to help because Addy is just of that Addy's kind of person. Help, right? He's so he's so sweet and kind and giving. Are there any other storylines I can help out in, he says. Yes. 
total Hufflepuff. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, and and uh, and again, like you said, it's nice to see her and Homeless Stew having a couple in in the Rovers, like yeah. normal people. Normally, and to they, see, they forget about that. And you know, to see that they've finally allowed Homeless Stew to take a shower and put on clean clothes. Now that he has a job and is living with Yasmin, yeah, he really has to for that to yeah. for that to fly. Is he really? Do you think he's really walking on eggshells with Yasmin? No. Really? Well, after after you know he well, says he something is, about vacuuming and she totally freaks out. Well, that's not really walking on eggshells. Well, he he may be walking that, on eggshells now because of that incident. Yasmin overreacting. Well, I think he's. Um, I think there's definitely uh, a little bit of spark going on there. Yes. So I don't think he's walking on eggshells. I think he's just biding his time. Right. Still have my fingers crossed for that thruple with Yasmin and Tim's mum and, and, and Stu. No, you keep that in your mind as we talk about mm. Audrey's grudge. Yeah, I think it's about as likely to happen as, as Craig and James hooking up. No, I think this has got a, bit, a little bit more uh, possibilities about it. <laughs> On Tuesday, Sarah is looking for some help picking up Harry. Gail is snowed under, so Audrey offers to help to get some uh, paper for Sam's books. Sarah thinks this sounds like a great idea, so Gail agrees. Then Audrey's walking by the cabin as Sean is sweeping up. She invites Audrey in, but Audrey is still carrying a grudge about Rita. And besides, she has to get home to back Sam's books. Audrey's bag makes a clinky, clinky noise, which arouses Shona's suspicions. Uh-huh. It's just a few bottles, says Audrey. And I thank you to keep your nose out of my business. <laughs> and number eight, Audrey's pished as she wraps Sam's books. She's making a pig's ass of it, which Gail blames in the vino. Then Gail gets a call from David about another storyline and has to leave. Which brings us on to this week's Hard Debate. Audrey gets pished and wraps Sam's books in fancy paper, but what were your school books wrapped in? Was it fancy paper? A magazine cover? Wallpaper? Or people wrap books? Why? See, this sparked a little bit of a debate. Yeah, you didn't even have what I used as a child which was brown paper bags, which were sturdier and thicker than a magazine cover. How is that going to protect your books, a magazine cover? It wasn't about protecting books, Helen. Yeah. It was about making a statement. That was why you used magazine covers. Right, but the whole point of wrapping a book is to protect the books so that no, children, that, no, 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 no. years that's, and years... That's your point. That was the school's point. That's no. why the school required it. And you could draw on brown paper... You can still make a statement with it. No, I did that quite a lot. I used Kerangs. I used a cover of Kerangs to uh, cover some of my books. Yeah. And I had used, one of the ones that came up in the, the comments was uh, Butcher's Brown Paper. I'd used brown paper as well, mm-hmm. what my mum did. Right, which but is the favorite, like the brown paper bag. The favourite was wallpaper. Anyway, the voting was this. Fancy paper, 7.7%. Magazine cover, 12.5%. People wrap books, Why? 15.4%, but the winner with a whopping 64.4% was wallpaper. Yeah, they don't really wrap books anymore. Any roll ends of uh, wallpaper would be perfect for wrapping up a school book. I don't think any of my kids have been required to wrap their wrap their school books. I haven't seen it, no. No. It's not a thing anymore because they recognize the fact that a lot of those facts are going to be out of date, so they don't really need to preserve those books yeah. quite as much. And all of this stuff's online as well. Right, yeah. So Sarah goes to number eight to pick up Lily for the night, and Audrey takes offence that Shona must think that she's pished and incapable, so Audrey sets out to prove them all wrong by heading off to the pub. 
On Wednesday, at number eight, Audrey is still sore about not being trusted to wipe her own arse these days. She points out that she'd have less drinking time if people let her do stuff. So Rita is chattering with Shona. I wouldn't be an alcoholic if you people would give me something to do. <laughs> right. Rita's chatting with Shona outside the cabin. Shona points out that there's a Barbara Streisand karaoke tonight and maybe Rita would be interested and maybe she could get her hair done by Audrey ahead of it. Rita sees what's happening but goes along with it. And Shona sings a song that's not by Barbara Streisand right. and doesn't seem to know who Barbara Streisand is. Right. Rita goes to see Audrey who's already on the sauce. Well... Shona had that stomach injury, remember? Right, it affected her brain. Rita says Audrey's bouncy blow is the best of her, and she fancies a natter, and the two of them make up. So Shona comes home to see the, the two of them together and calls herself peacemaker extraordinaire, and this does not go down well with Audrey, who accuses no. them both of patronising her. Sorry to interrupt you getting pished, says Rita, as she leaves. Drink yourself stupid, says Shona, and she leaves too. Audrey does as she's told, but she looks a little bit sad about yeah, it. Yeah, she takes Rita's glass and pours it into her mm. own glass. Which is hilarious, but also sad. Yeah, and she kind of looks sad as she's doing it. And that's as far as we get with that this week. I'm glad. I'm glad that they're finally acknowledging that Audrey's drinking is a problem. Yeah. it's And it's not. It's always been funny and it's always been used as a kind of comedic part of right, storylines. And it's kind of not funny anymore. It's, it's, yeah. The clinky clink in the bags was, was not, quite funny. Right. But yeah, it's kind of, it's turning into a bit of a problem. And she really needs to be. Really well, maybe does she, does she need to be? I mean, if she's comfortable with it, she's not doing anybody any harm. She's doing herself harm. Yeah, she's drinking herself her. into an early grave, and she an is, early grave. Yes, an early earlier grave. How's that? I don't know. <laughs> and also, it is because it's affecting her relationships with her family and her friends. Well, that's true. It is becoming the most important thing in her life, right? Which is, yeah, that's not great. No, and it's also covering up an underlying depression about getting older and feeling useless. Right. Yeah, I'm glad that they've kind of addressed this and it's not just this kind of comedic point where, oh, Audrey's pushed again. Oh, Audrey's pushed again. Right. You know, it is coming towards something that yes. one would hope is going to have some kind of resolution yes. at some point. Yes. So she's not made up with Rita then. <laughs> or has she? Does that she still has, count? She has, and now she hasn't. I'm just sad that we didn't get to see Claudia. Yeah, because that was Rita's first choice, wasn't right, it? Right, yeah. Because she's still sore with Audrey. Audrey sore that Rita and... Or that Norris fancied Rita? Was that what it was? No, I think she's she's mad because... It came because from Claudia does... Because she, she has oh, a standing right, thing with, with Claudia, Claudia to do her it. hair. And Rita rightly points out, well, the last time you did my hair, you cut my ear. <laughs> I wouldn't go back to somebody who cut my ear, even if they were a friend. Our final storyline this morning is Mad Max 2, Beyond the Daniel Dome. On Monday, Max is getting ready for school and has no intention of going to the consent workshop until David insists that he does, and that it's important for him to get all the information he can get his hands on. Max concedes that David's point has been made, and he agrees to go. And it turns out that it's Daniel who's doing the workshop. Why? I know. Why says that? Then why not have a, a I don't know hey, a female teacher teach this? Here's here's this right, or you know, a professional counselor who does this sort of thing, who is educated in this sort of thing. And who doesn't need to rely on going to a barmaid to to learn about this and put it on Instagram. You know, this is just... But it's so like this 
this school system, isn't it? To, to agree, okay, yes, we'll get some consent workshops in. But we're not paying for it. We're just going to make our teachers that we're already paying and, and, do it during classes. And even though they're agreeing that Daniel didn't do anything wrong with Summer, yeah, he didn't do everything right either. Right. So we're going to get that guy. Right. The guy who was accused of having an improper, even if he was found not guilty, he was still accused. Yeah, let's not shine any light on that and let's, just get somebody else to do it. Right, yeah. Let's no make offense him to you, Daniel. It. Yeah. That's, it's... So anyway, and Nina's I texted rolls, you about this. That's how upset I was about this. And Nina's rolls, Lydia is pushing the work of Mary Wilsoncroft. Daniel doesn't think it's relevant. And Daisy, who's also there, agrees. When Lydia goes off, Daisy decides to push a more Me Too message, which has something to do with the current climate, at least. Right. But Lydia makes a fair point that knowing the history of this and, and recognising that this goes right. back, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. centuries yeah, 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 yeah. is is important. Yeah. And also, Mary Wollstonecraft was a badass. Three kids turn up for Daniel's seminar on consent, one of them being Max. Let's get started, says Daniel, writing consent on a flip chart. Right, wasn't start. this supposed to be mandatory? Why, 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 why are they just allowing kids to float in if they feel like it, right. when it was supposed to be mandatory? Daniel writes consent on a flip chart. Any questions? <laughs> After the seminar is over, Daniel congratulates Max. Yes, says Max, I had a personal stake in it. Because of David, says Daniel. No, because people thought I was a pervert last week, says Max. The fuck has David got to do with anything? Daniel pretends that he has to go home immediately to sign for a partial, and he heads for the door. Right, and he, he, he makes some excuse about, oh, well, because you guys haven't been getting along well lately and stuff. Max gets home and tells David about the strange conversation he had with Mr. Osborne about consent and how Daniel had turned it into a conversation about David, and then Daniel looked about as awkward as David does now. David announces that he has to go home and sign for a partial, and he runs for the door. Max asks what happened as David continues to pretend the conversation isn't happening and when Shona comes in he quizzes her but Shona doesn't blurt anything out which I felt like she probably would have and tells him to speak to David about it. Frustrated, Max stomps out. Shona tells David that he needs to talk to Max about this. David knows but is worried that Max would think less of him. No son needs to look at his dad and see a victim. Shona insists that he's strong and it's best Max finds out sooner from him. Right. So Max comes home and so David explains what happened to him, how he was out with Josh, who he thought of as a friend. They got drunk, went home and Josh raped him and he felt so much shame. If it wasn't for Shona, he'd probably have taken his own life. It obviously causes David pain to tell his story and it pains Max to hear it. Are you okay, Dad? asks Max. No, says David. It's me, but I'm fine. And the two of them smile, ignoring the fact that they're both crying. Uh Uh-huh. David goes to see Daniel to confront him about blabbing to Max. Daniel apologises, but thinks this might help them mend their relationship. And also rightly says, I had no idea he didn't know. Because you would think, you would think Max, uh, because that was kind of my reaction. All of this stuff leading up to it, I was kind of getting upset at Max saying, come on, your dad was raped and you're acting like this. Oh, really? Oh, no. Because I'd assumed that that he knew because... He's old enough to have known, and he was old enough to have recognized that something really bad was going on during that whole thing. David points out how difficult it is to tell your teenage son that you've been raped, and then leaves before he does something that he'll regret. On Tuesday, Max and David are up at the crack of Gale. They have a very (laughs) mature conversation about the rape stuff. 
what that means to the both of them. David, who hadn't said it was Josh previously, confirms now that it was, and he's glad Max now knows. Max is glad too, but then ominously says that he wishes David could have told him in his own time. At school, Daniel apologises to Max for yesterday's misunderstanding. Max accepts the apology, but doesn't sound like he has at all. Great, says Daniel. Later, Daniel is telling Lydia how great a job he's doing with Max, <laughs> so they head to the Rovers for a drink to celebrate. Daniel taking a moment to say aloud that Dev is at the flat at the minute, fixing his leaky tap. Skulking at the end of the street, Max is dressed like an unhappy burglar, staring at the spot Daniel used to be standing on. So Max is at Dev's, and while he's waiting, Dev tells Daniel no. over the phone that he's fixed the tap, oh, yes. and he puts his keys down on the counter. While Dev is distracted by Gemma, Max nicks the keys and slinks off. And he hangs about suspiciously on the street and then gains entry to Daniel's flat, whereupon he spends a good three or four minutes just wrecking the place. Yeah, just knocking shit over. Yep. Meanwhile, Daniel is still in the pub with Lydia, talking about getting a permanent placement at Weddy High, where they can make a real difference. Then Lydia has to leave to take Finn, whose whereabouts are unknown, to a football game. So Daniel gets home, hears a disturbance upstairs, and he heads up the stairs, and then does what any sane person would do in the same situation, which is lay his man bag down at the top of the stairs. <laughs> he sees all the destruction in his flat, and then he sees the intruder. Max, he says. Daniel says, did this make you feel better? Yes, thank you, says Max. <laughs> and then Daniel spots that Max has broken something in the Sinead's, or was it a... I couldn't make out what it was. It was, was like that, a ceramic thing we learned later. It was that handprint thing. Right. And this seems to get Max going, oh, sorry, I didn't really mean to do that. That was an accident. <laughs> You've trashed the entire flat right. and something of sentimental value has got broken. It wasn't right. an accident. Right. I think I think in I think that was Max in hindsight saying, Oh my god, this 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 was a bridge too far right. this bit because he recognizes Sinead is dead, you know, and, and this was this is one of the last things Bethany. of Sinead's that I've got, says Daniel. And then Max reminds Daniel that he was poking Bethany quick enough after Sinead died. Daniel goes for Max, pushes him a bit, and then Max trips over the conveniently placed man bag and tumbles down the stairs. Not again, says Daniel. <laughs> but this time Daniel phones an ambulance. They get him to check his breathing, and it looks a bit like Max is dead at the bottom of the stairs, though. Right. But he's not, he's fine, he's alive, and he's loaded into an ambulance. And Daniel explains to the police, and then David, who turns up, that he caught Max trashing the flat, and then heard him clatter down the stairs, insisting that he didn't see what happened. And you're like, oh, you're not telling the truth, are you, Daniel? Which, you know, it was an accident. He didn't no, he mean pushed to him. He pushed him, but he didn't mean to push him down the stairs. If the bag wasn't there, he wouldn't have fallen down the stairs. Yeah, but he still lies, though. Right, and that's... But that's what I'm saying. He's lying when he doesn't have to. Back in the flat, Daniel explains how he saw Max coming out of the bedroom, told him to leave, escorted him to the door. Escorted is doing a lot of heavy lifting there. Yes. Closed the door and then heard him tumble. The police head off to get Max's side and Daisy comes up to see if he's okay. He's not okay. No. At the hospital, Max is off for a scan and has at least started talking though. David and Shona piece it together that Max trashed Daniel's flat as revenge for swallowing the beans on David's rape. Daniel explains uh, how he thought Max might have been dead. Daisy thinks Max is tough. Daniel wishes that he hadn't left his man bag at the top of the stairs. It was an accident, assures Daisy. David and Shona go to see Max. David asks if Max can remember what happened, but he doesn't get an answer. And later, Lydia comes in just as Daisy's leaving. It gets to the point where... Lydia must be wondering, when was the last time I walked into a room and Daisy wasn't there? Right. 
And as Daniel is explaining about his terrible day, the cops come in wanting to question Daniel on suspicion of assault. I didn't touch him, says Daniel. Your arse, says the copper. So on Wednesday, Daniel's in the police station with Adam and he's been interviewed. He gives a very selective account of events, insisting again that he didn't push Max down the stairs. Adam points out that Max has a history of antagonising Daniel. And assaulting him. Let's mm-hmm. remember, he punched him in the, the face. First, right? The copper asks about Daniel's appetite for justice if the CPS decide to press charges here. So Adam gets home, it's Sarah's birthday today, and we get to see their fancy apartment. It's very dark. It's black and gold. It which... looks like a hotel foyer. That's what it made me think of, or a fancy hotel room. I've, I've never been into a black and gold foyer, I don't think. I've no, never been to the fanciest hotels in the world then. I guess not. Sarah isn't impressed by the bistro for her birthday tea, and she's even less impressed to learn that her present is a double oven. That's your fault though. Sarah thinks it's a joke, until she doesn't, and she stomps out in a huff. It's my fault that Sarah's getting a double oven. No, it's your fault that I haven't been in the fanciest hotels in the world, because you're the one who books our... <laughs> Our hotel Yep, under a hundred bucks, please. <laughs> it was nice to see the flat, though. It was nice to see it they have nice a place to, to live. It doesn't it, look like it's been lived in, though. That's a strange thing it, about it, it. It does look like a flat Adam would have, though. You think? Yeah. All the black and the gold. It's got a very Scottish feel. You think? <laughs> Fair enough. So David and Max get home. Max insists that Daniel pushed him. He broke in to make Daniel pay for what happened to David. And David points out that Daniel wasn't responsible for any of that. Right. And he should have told Max anyway. It wasn't worth trashing a flat over. Max admits to taking the keys when Dev was distracted. And then the cops arrive and explain that Daniel won't be getting charged, but Max might be. Then Ken finds Adam looking for bad birthday present flowers. And (laughs) Daniel comes along. Ken thinks that Max deserves everything that's coming to him, but Adam doesn't believe Daniel's story and reckons that he did push Max after all. He's got form, he says. Right, remember when he pushed Granddad down the stairs? And Daniel oddly lets this slight on his character go without saying anything. (laughs) The copper points out that Daniel was within his rights to use reasonable force to get Max out of his fucking flat. Right. Anyway, consider yourself lucky because no one's pressing charges here. Max thinks that Daniel has gotten away with it. David, though, is more concerned that Max seems to be exhibiting the same kind of behaviour that he did as a kid, and that scares him. Right. Lydia and Daniel are in the Rovers day drinking when David comes in for a word. David doesn't believe that Daniel didn't push Max and doesn't think he should be allowed around kids. Oh, wait a minute, that's going to be a bit too far, says Daniel. Yeah. Lydia tells David to leave. So Lydia goes to work and asks for some time off immediately so she can go and do some kintsugi with Daniel's broken plate thing. Right. The use of Japanese techniques to mend things and celebrate imperfections is enough to convince Carla to give her the afternoon off. Yes. And Carla pretends not to know what kintsugi is. Mm-hmm. And it's when, a death cap for cutie album. And when, and, when, and when Lydia doesn't understand that it's a joke, Carla gets offended that Lydia thinks she's that dumb. I, think it, I don't think I it's don't a think common it's, thing, you know. No, I don't think so either, which is why it was... It's I was not a like little, origami. I w- why I was a little surprised that Carla was like, of course I know what that is. I didn't know what it was until the death cup for cutie of. <laughs> I really didn't. Back at the flat, Daisy appears to check on Daniel, but he's not in the mood for her shite and accuses her of being obsessed with him and being fake. Oh, so, not so this again. The two of them slag each other off. Daniel hates how she's obsessed with her looks. Meanwhile, they're getting closer... And closer together. Daisy hates how he quotes books to make people feel bad. And she worries if it's a little Daniel deficiency. <laughs> little Daniel with capital letters. So, of course, they end up winching yes. just as Lydia comes in. Yes. Lydia seems to be getting sick of Daisy always being there. So Daisy quickly leaves. And Lydia has arranged for the thing to be kintsugied all better. And Daniel pretends and to be happy about it. it. Right. It's very nice of her. Can we talk, he says. 
and she works out what's going on. She's about to be dumped. As he's constantly wiping his mouth. It's like, how much saliva could have come out of Daisy's mouth in those, like, two seconds? Is she a slobberer? He's constantly wiping his mouth throughout this whole scene. It was very distracting. She asked for him to be honest. So he is. He can't see a future with her. And he was kissing Daisy, and he still has feelings for Daisy. She calls him a lousy lay, and then leaves. Later, after chatting with Carla, Sarah decides that her fancy new oven isn't such a bad present after all, and the bistro for dinner just proves that Adam was thinking about Harry, because their uh, reservation's like for 4.30 or something like that. Right, and in- includes Harry. Daniel is called in to see Crawshaw, and long story short, they believe him, have his back against Max, and want to make him a permanent teacher. See, I wouldn't. No, there's far even, too many red flags here. Yeah, even even back if back to back red flags. Right, even if he has been found innocent, if it, it feels like maybe he should be teaching kids that he doesn't live right next door to. Yeah, Crawshaw then tries to explain this to David over the phone. David is a more difficult audience and gives her pelters. After Shona decides to find the fact that Max didn't technically break into Daniel's an important detail to mention, which I'm not sure why that was important. It it's not. Crusher's hilarious though when she says I wish you would have told me that I was on speakerphone when (laughs) (laughs) Daniel gets home to relieve Ken from babysitting duties Daniel explains the outcome of his meeting which gives Ken an opportunity to tell Daniel that he's very proud of his son Adam walks round the corner to find a pished Lydia falling out of the rovers he seems genuine when he checks to see how she is and offers to get her a taxi but she's nasty and blames him for poisoning the waters with Daniel who has now dumped her so Adam is late getting to the bistro and has to endure some low-level passive aggression from Sarah in leather trousers. Adam explains his encounter with Lydia, which gets Sarah's attention. Also, Bethany will be FaceTiming her later. Happy birthday. Happy birthday indeed. So Daisy heads back to Daniel's for some more. She heard about Lydia via Carla, Jenny and her thigh bone. She tries to do a sad face. Daniel explains about his job offer. Yay, says Daisy. Daniel explains that he really did push Max and this knocks Daisy for six and she leaves not telling Daniel exactly where she, what she thinks and where he now stands. Right. Should give him enough to go on though. The fact that she just abruptly leaves and yeah. her face falls completely. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Yes. Yeah. She clearly has, despite the fact that some of the things that Daniel says to her really is ridiculous. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're you're obsessed with me and you're obsessed with yourself and you're always doing things to get things and stuff. It's all the same stuff over and over again that he says to her for no Asking reason. For Instagram friendly food. It's not clever. Fuck off, Daniel. Right. Prick. Seriously. <sighs> but yeah, she's not happy because she has put him on a pedestal. She really has. And she chose to believe him when nobody else was believing him. Correct. And she's fought his corner left right. and right. And albeit because she still fancies him, but you know, that's she's made it very clear to everybody what uh, where she stands uh with him as right. you know, he is he's trustworthy and he's a good guy. And he's very kind. And here he is admitting that he did push the little brat down the stairs. Well, he pushed the little brat. He didn't push him down the stairs. He pushed him at the top of the stairs and he fell downstairs. Mm, Causing effect much. He wouldn't have fallen if that bag wasn't there. You can't say that for sure. You can't say that for sure. Because it was the momentum of tripping and falling... Because if he also had, he was tripping and falling already before no, he hit the bag. He, no, it was a momentum of tripping and falling over the bag that caused him to topple down the None stairs. None of this matters. 
He pushed him whilst at the top of stairs. He fell downstairs. Oh, no. He's responsible for Max falling down the stairs. There's, there's like a little area there at the top of the stairs, which reasonably, if he just pushed him out the door, he shouldn't have fallen down the Max stairs. Max was already leaving. There was no need to push him. There was no need to push him. Max was leaving. He pushed him. Was he leaving? It he feels like Daniel stairs. kind of pushed, no, he pushed, pushed him out the back. door. He pushed his back at the top of the stairs. He's responsible for Max falling down the stairs. Well, yes. Without a doubt. But it was not his intent for him to fall down the stairs. Big deal. And at least he called the police and an ambulance. Right. Which, so, so he's getting better. Let's admit, that's it's a low bar. Maybe next time you, you just won't. But the majority push of the, down the stairs but the majority all. of the street would not would not pass that low bar. <laughs> right. Emma wouldn't pass that low bar. Yeah, he he kind of did the right thing after doing the wrong thing, and right. he's kind of done the right thing, I guess, by telling Daisy. But I and think- then and then did the wrong thing again because if he had been honest, if he had said, "Look, the kid was in my flat. I was angry. I pushed him. He tripped over my bag and fell down the stairs." Nobody would blame him for that because, as the as the police say, he's allowed to reasonable, reasonable force. Reasonable force. Yeah. yeah, and I think the force was reasonable. Yeah, it not like punch him. He didn't no. throw him, and he didn't push him that hard. He's still responsible for it. Right. But Criminally responsible, probably not. But, you know, lying about it makes him criminally responsible now. Probably. But yeah, so Daisy seems to be taking this quite quite hard. Yeah, I don't blame her. Which is, you know, this relationship has has been doomed so many times. It's a good one. Is it? There's more chemistry there than between Craig and Faye. (laughs) We've and said I, this before. There's more chemistry be, between this bookmark and this kind of. And I do kind of, of like. I do kind of like the whole Hepburn, Tracy thing they've got going on. You know, the whole slagging each other off and then winching their faces off. I hate that. That's such an old trope. That's well, a trope from Dynasty in Dallas. That's why I said Spencer and Tra- Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn. Doesn't which make is it a even, new trope. No, that's why. That's, so you're agreeing with me. Good. It's an old trope. By saying Tracy and Hepburn, that's saying that it's a very old trope, don't you think? It is an old trope. Because that's don't older need than it. Dallas and Dynasty. We don't need it. Yeah, but it's it's a good comedic trope. I think. If I don't they think it's meant to be funny. Yeah. I think there have been times it's been meant to be funny. I think it's still kind of meant to be funny in, you know, kind of a tragic storyline, which it is now. If they had just kept it a comedic storyline without all of the pushing down of the stairs and stuff. Yeah. I think it would it would be better. I think I would enjoy it more. But yeah. I do kind of enjoy the two of I, it, I enjoy the two of them together. I do not. You just don't like Daisy. I don't, or like, I don't like either of them. No. <laughs> so they're, they're well matched. There's a couple that I don't, I don't like. I actually like Daisy more than I did. Yeah. Daniel doesn't do anything to, to win me over no. this week. No. I don't know if there is anything that he could do that would win me over. Probably not. Not at this point. It's no. been far too long. Yeah, it's like um, Chesney. Chesney is irredeemable. Right, right. But uh, it makes me wonder if there are more uh, feudal moments coming up between Daniel and David because, you know, this has been building over a number of episodes, a number of weeks, with the whole summer thing and all that sort of stuff. You know, there are there are reasons for, which I, I don't think David's been actually all that reasonable about. Um, either in this story or previous stories, but he I actually seems to find be, David being quite well at moments quite reasonable because he, when he goes to confront Daniel about, hey, you know, thanks a lot for spilling the beans with my kid, 
he does say to him, I'm angry. I'm very angry at you right now, but I'm walking away. Yeah. And I'm not going to hit you. That was reasonable. Yes. That's very reasonable. You know, because it was the right thing to do to express to Daniel how angry he is about this, that this was not okay. Right. Of course, Daniel immediately kind of washes over that with how Max seems to be okay with it. But, you know, Daniel or David, and I can kind of understand David at points trying to defend his son and, 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 and saying to his son, you know, when I think of Fizz and the way Fizz is with hope, Daniel is not that way or David's not that way with Max. He's saying to Max, that was a stupid thing to do. Don't do that anymore or you're going to go to juvie eventually. Yeah, the, and I don't want you walking down that road. The believable part of this for me is that David is being, is presenting a public face that is different from his private face. And yes. the private face is where he's given Max pelters for this. But the public face is that he's backing his kid all the way, even though he knows that Max isn't perfect. Right. Yeah. You know, and I really, I really appreciated the whole conversation between David and Max about the rape and how David explains it to Max yeah. and says, this was not something I wanted. This, this was my, my fault, but this is why discussing consent is important because the other person tried to pass it off right. as consensual, right? you know, and getting somebody drunk is not okay. Using date rape drugs is not okay. Correct. You can't give consent, informed consent in right. those situations, which does make it a rape. So Right. And these are important conversations to have. Yeah. You know. So I really appreciated that. I thought that was really well done. It was not it was not over the top with melodrama, which was good. Like I'm I'm happy that Max's reaction was quite mature and you know was not blaming his dad for what happened to him and no but then he did go and trash a flat the right. next day yeah couldn't handle it that great then right but in the moment he seems On to the be handling it, yeah. it really well and i don't think if he hadn't overheard that conversation because it's really overhearing that conversation between shona and david where shona says to david this has really dredged an awful lot up for you and you're not okay with this are you and David admits that yes, this is right. this is this has done damage to me, having this all dredged back up again, when I wasn't really ready to talk to Max about it. That's why Max trashes the flat. It's not the rape itself. It's it's the fact that because Daniel sparked all of this, right. his dad's not okay. Yeah, Lydia doesn't seem to be taking this uh, dumping from Daniel quite well, and appears to be no. blaming. Adam. Yeah. Do, do we really have to go down this route? We're going to. But we called it months ago, didn't we? When Lydia first showed up. Oh, so, yeah. That, oh, great. We're going to get our single single white female. Yeah. We're just finishing that on the classic calling that didn't leave a great taste in the mouth, I have to say. No. And then remember we had Jade, which we thought was going to be Single yeah. white female, and then it turned out to be. We're determined to do it at some point, so completely different. Let's get rid of it. Just get it done. Get it over with. We can move on with our lives. Right, and oh look, it's like the really smart, seemingly feminist character who turns out to be the crazy obsessive one. Right. Yay. 
Great. <laughs> Terrific. Well, I can't wait for next week. Uh, that was the week that was Coronation was. Street then. What was your moment of the week? Oh, we're spoiled for choice this week, aren't we? I think there were a lot of really good scenes, but I have to say Max and David. Yep, it's got to be. Yeah. I mean, I think that was a, a, a use of Jack P. Shepard's acting at Nounce was, uh, you know, he hasn't been given an awful lot recently. No, because he had the COVID. But that scene between him and and Max, Paddy Bever just doing a great job as well. Seriously. Um, I'm just so impressed by the young crew on Coronation Street. They just seem to be finding great actor after great actor. But seeing Jack P. Shepard do what Jack P. Shepard does really, really well. Right. Um, that kind of emotional scene where there are bits of, uh, there's a mixture of emotions going on there right. that, that he does really, really well. He's trying to downplay it, he's trying to be funny, but he's right. telling a really serious fact and the way that the tears kind of build up in both their eyes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was uh, goosebumps Oft. stuff. I was really, really impressed by both so of them. So good. I think without I'm so doubt, mad at Britbox that I almost missed it. I know, you would have. Because they flipped the part one and part two this week. Yeah, I'm glad you said something because that would, you know, you need, you need to see this scene. You really do need to see the scene. If you're going to sit down and watch like, 95% of Coronation Street, the 5% that you don't see yeah. is, is arguably the best. Yes, absolutely. That is our moment of the week. Uh, moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. I hate to say it, but probably Daniel and Lydia arguing about Mary Wollstonecraft. I can't really think of anything else that was worse than that. Or <laughs> more boring than that. It's either that or some of the Tim's mum stuff was kind of boring though. Or Adam, Adam, highlighting all the perks of of Glasgow, and no, that's that's just good information. Well, it was good information, but then like at the end where where um he's talking about that one chicken dish, and Ash is like, I don't know what that is. Yeah, <laughs> well, I thought he was talking about chicken tikka because that was invented in Glasgow. Or was it invented in Birmingham? I can't remember which. It was in. It was not invented in India, no. is is the point. No. <laughs> so what are we going with? Uh, Wollstonecraft. That's it. Boring moment of the week. But seriously, everybody read Mary Wollstonecraft. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right, let's la- lap. Let's lap this up. Let's lap this one up. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com. And we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can shake me and Helen the coffee by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. Our talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.